Hello, I'm David Sparks, and joined by my fellow co-host, Rosemary Orchard, and this is The Automators, where we talk about how to automate your technology to do your work for you. Hello, Rosemary. Hello, David. How are you? Good. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about automating music, which is one of my favorite things in the world. I love music. Yeah, I love music, too. I actually sat down and played the piano the other day, something I've not done in ages. That was good fun, but I haven't figured out automating it. Well, let's just say I'm really out of practice. So I knew where I wanted my fingers to go and what I wanted my fingers to do, but they didn't actually do any of that. So that was intriguing. Maybe I should try and automate it. I, I When I play the piano, I am kind of on automation. I just There's some songs I have under my fingers. And if I don't think about them, I can play them perfectly. And if I think about them, I crash and burn. Yes, yes, it is exactly that. I was never a great pianist. I, you know, passed sort of mid-level exams in piano. But now if I sit down in front of piano and I'm not thinking, I'm not terrible. But if I sit down and I think or I try and read music um, and make my fingers follow the music, it ends badly. So uh, I should probably stick to automating, you know, the playback of music instead of the playing of music right now. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, We've got this great music sources on our devices and our computers and automation should come to the rescue for you. Um, and this is an area that actually lends itself to very simplified automation. I think if you're listening to the show and you haven't done a lot of automation, this is a great entry point for you. Yeah, it really is. Because there's so much that you can automate with music. And it can be as simple as whenever I do this, automatically start playing that playlist. Or as complex as, and when I wake up in the morning, it will automatically start playing this playlist if it's a work day, but it's a complicated, different playlist on a non-work day. Um, or handing off your music when you get home from work and things like that. So there's there's a lot of options out there for us. Yeah, I agree. And interestingly, and we're going to try and cover both of these during the course of this show, it's really kind of a different story on the Mac versus iPhone and iPad. Um, Mm -hmm. And they both have automation possibilities. Um, The Mac is, I I would argue, kind of broader in what you can do with automation. We had Doug Adams on the show recently from Doug Scripps, and so much of his website is devoted to automating music. Uh, but that's all Mac stuff. It's Apple scripts. And then over on the iOS side, you've got kind of a different tool set. Yes, yes, you do. Um, and uh, it's intriguing that on the Mac, we turn to uh, Apple scripts. So most people would assume that on iOS, you turn to shortcuts. And in some ways, you can turn to shortcuts. Shortcuts does have music integration. But really, you need to be looking at something like Toolbox Pro or one of the other apps that we're going to get to later in today's show to really automate your music. Yeah. And then the other kind of uh, vector for this is the type of music you start, because for so long, automation of music involved your personal library, you know, the music that you'd bought and ripped into iTunes or um, stuff that you'd bought from the uh, Apple iTunes store. Whereas now, most people are using a music subscription service where they've got access to vast libraries that they're renting on a monthly basis. And Mm -hmm. that kind of changes the automation story a little bit too. Yes, it does. It means, for example, I need to filter the music on my iPhone uh, at certain points uh, to just the downloaded music to play it because I'm on a plane at 20,000 feet and or however many thousand feet I'm flying at. And, you know, there's not necessarily internet up there. And that's something that you need to perhaps take into account with your automations. Is the internet going to be available to you or not? Which is something that we maybe don't think about so much with our other shortcuts. Yeah, in fact, that's one of my music automations to to jump ahead a bit is I have, uh, when I have trips planned, I have an automation that reminds me to download all my music 
before I get on an airplane. Because if your phone starts running out of space, music is one of the things that will go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you want to make sure you get everything downloaded uh, before you get to the airport. Yeah. Once you get to the airport, you're almost too late because yeah. usually the connection quality and uh, data stream available to you is pretty small. Um, but the uh, uh, that's something you want to do the night before. But you definitely want that stuff downloaded because once the plane takes off, you're kind of out of luck. Yeah, I actually have an automation to help me download all of my music on my iPhone, too. So we're going to have to circle back to this later in the show. Okay. Well, where do you want to start? Well, I think it would make the most sense to start on the Mac because so many people for years stored all of their music in iTunes and curated their playlists and updated their album artwork and manually added lyrics to things. It feels like a shame to just gloss over the fact that a lot of people have these amazing music libraries and they're all on our Macs ready to go. And the Mac is a great automation device. Uh, You don't necessarily need to have a Mac mini sitting in your house as a server. I mean, I have my Mac mini as a desktop, but it's also sitting there running as a server doing other stuff in the background for me, including playing music. Um, but, you know, it's 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 a really powerful tool. And, you know, we already mentioned Doug Scripps. If you want to start automating iTunes um, or music, as we're now call it, calling it on Catalina because, you know, they've split it up, um, then Doug Scripps and Apple Script are a great way to start with iTunes. Agreed. Agreed. And so much of just in general on the Mac the tool set available to you in historical iTunes was massive. I mean, the uh, some of the very first screencasts I ever published were iTunes playlist stuff where I would look at, um, you know, songs that have four or five stars that I haven't played in three months. You know, that yeah. was one of my favorite playlists because it would find stuff that I liked that I hadn't heard recently. And it was automatically updating itself. Because, you know, once you play it, then it's been played within the last three months and it gets dropped off the playlist. And it's a great way to listen to some of your favorite music that you don't hear all the time. And uh, Apple did a really good job at the beginning of creating those rule sets. Yeah. Um, For people who've never played with a smart list uh, playlist in music or iTunes, it's very much like Hazel. Um, in that you can, you know, have a set of rules. And then instead of having the actions, there are no actions. It's just these will then be in your playlist. Um, But you can have inclusive actions or optional actions. So you can say either it's got uh, four stars or five stars um, and and it's not been played in the last three months. And you can make that group. Um, And so I would recommend that everybody open up the music app, fire it up, even if you don't play music on your Mac, because these smart playlists do actually sync over to iOS, which is one of the great reasons why you should actually fire up music, because you can create these smart playlists, and then they'll be on your iPhone. So you can create a smart playlist, and you can add all of these rules. But this is something that people always forget press the option key when clicking the plus at some point, and then you can create a subgroup, which is how you would create your four or five stars or three or four or five stars. Um, and um, then uh, as well as the not played in the last three months options. Yeah. The, and that, that option key is something that works throughout the operating system. Um, the uh, It also works in Hazel and it's it just built in. In fact, I was doing the screencasts for, a version of Fantastical, and I included that in one of the screencasts, and the developer wrote me back. He said, I didn't even know that the app could do that <laughs> because <laughs> uh, it's built in, you know? So we, he discovered when he saw my screencast that that option existed. So um, that's a that's a great trick to have up your sleeve when you're, you're doing automation. I was very worried when I heard that Apple was going to take iTunes out and put the music app in 
And I was afraid that they were going to remove a lot of that automation options, but fortunately it still exists in the music app. Yes, it does. And that's a, a great thing. And I should mention, actually, something else you should do with the option key is open up any of the menus in the menu bar. So, for example, in music, you could open up the uh, song menu. Um, and then if you press, or let's try the edit menu, if you press the opt key while you have one of those menus open, it usually shows you alternative uh, menu items. Um, and this is something that's really useful as well. It appears the music app is not actually showing me any options here, but that's a useful trick that you can use in other apps. I used that in PDF Pen yesterday, actually. Yeah, so to get a new smart playlist in the music app, it's not as obvious as it used to be. They had two or three ways you could turn them on before. Now you need to go to the file menu and hit new, and then there's a sub menu, and it's smart playlist. You can also hit option command in in the application and it'll open a new smart playlist mm -hmm. and when you do it gives you all these options so and you can pick from a variety of different um, indexes on these songs it, it goes from album grouping genre size mm -hmm. i mean all it's just i don't know there's maybe 30 or 40 different ways here that you can get through it like media kind is one i used to use all the time because I would, you know, distinguish between albums and video yeah. or uh, for my legal stuff, I would rip all my, when I buy the CDs for the continuing legal education, I would have a different um, genre for that called CLE. And then I would exclude that from all of my playlists because I didn't want to accidentally trip into somebody talking about contracts so I'm listening to jazz. <laughs> so, you know, you can do quite a bit with this. Yes. Yes, you can. Uh, this is really for me a great, I think, a great entry point for, for automation. Yeah, it really is. Um, and I would highly encourage people to, to do this. Depending on what metadata you have added um, to, to your music, you may be best off limiting thing, yourself to things like when you added the, the item to your library. So if you added it to your library six months ago and you've not listened to it, that could be a great smart playlist because then it's going to encourage you to listen to those things that you thought that you were going to listen to and you didn't get around to. And that might, of course, be a great way to cull some of your music collection. I know my dad's recently uh, been going through listening to stuff that he's had stored on his device that he's never listened to. And it's a lot of uh, delete key action being used there. Uh, but that's, that's pretty useful. Yeah, there's really two types of metadata in the music app. There's the stuff that you can control, like the genre of music. Like uh, years ago, I decided to make all of my Christmas music Yule music, Y-U-L-E, because I thought that was just cooler in jazz parlance. And it wasn't that hard. I selected them all and then uh, did show information and change the genre to Yule. But I'm controlling that. Then there's the metadata that really is not your control, like when was it last played? When did you add it to the library? That kind of stuff. Um, and comb combining those two is, I think, where you really get those magic playlists. Yes. Yes, you do. And, um, and e even though, also, just to say real quick, on there, mm -hmm. there's a one called Rating. It's a, a five-star rating system. Mm -hmm. um, even though that's not visible anymore in the music app, that data is still there. So you can also still use that, although I don't do it anymore. Yeah, I have to say I'm actually a big fan of the the very simple like and dislike and not rated feature um, yeah, because that for me is very binary. Before, I very much struggled to decide what is a four or a five star, you know, like what is the difference between those two? Um, and everybody can, yeah. do, can decide that differently, but I would also decide that differently from song to song. Um, so it was never that consistent for me. So I ended up with kind of just like one star, three star, 
five star, which would be like, don't like it. For some reason, I need to keep this. Usually for things, you know, you mentioned that you ripped the legal CDs. I used to have children's music CDs when I was an English teacher. Uh, trust me, you do not want to hear children's songs when you're, you know, flying on a plane. Uh, to to get to your next teaching job and you're just ready to zone out. Um, you just want to be listening to whatever it is that you you enjoy listening to. Um, and so I I used to to filter things um, based on that and just stick with one, three, and five. So don't like it. It's okay, and I love it. Um, and uh, nowadays I I just stick with like dislike um, and not rated yet. Yeah, yeah. I I used to have one star being music that I did actively didn't like. And then one day it occurred to me, why am I rating this stuff one star and not just deleting it from my library? Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> I, I would encourage people, if you're rating things one star, delete it. I kept this stuff purely because I, I needed it. Like, you know, when I was when I was teaching, you know, you would need the music to, to play along to the songs. But you don't want to suddenly start listening to an episode of Desert Island Discs in the middle of your uh, relaxation session. So... I don't know. I kind of like some of those kids' songs. They remind me of when my kids were little. There, there was a great album by John Lithgow that had like "I'm a GNU" and um, from the Indies to the Andes and his Undies. I could see myself actually going back and listening to that. Well, in my case, these were very much teaching discs. So sometimes it was songs, but a lot of the time it was a random excerpt from uh, you know some somebody reading a Shakespeare play. Um, or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, a bit of a mood killer when you're not expecting it. But we should probably move on and look at some of the great Apple script options that you can do because there's a lot that you can do. Um, One of the ones that I used to use a lot um, and I should probably get back into the habit of using is the Block Party playlist, um, which is an Apple script available on Doug's site. Uh, This is Doug Adams, who was on the show recently. Um, And this allows you to create a playlist uh, from a variety of artists um, and it just puts either um, uh, 25 artists and two tracks per artist in there or you can specify a duration so how long it should last for Um, and I used to use this a lot for flying Uh, I would actually create a playlist for the approximate length of my flight um, plus you know half an hour or so Um, And that is a great way to just, you know, fill the time and listen to a bunch of different stuff that you wouldn't necessarily listen to um, all all the time because it, you know, jazzes things up a bit. Yeah. So what it does is it allows you to pick, instead of picking a few artists and a lot of songs from them, it picks you, allows you to pick a lot of artists and a few songs from each, which is kind of a different way about going about it. And uh, you can pick you can pick the specific genres to be included, which is really nice. So, mm-hmm. um, like for instance, I'm not really super into pop music, and when I hear Block Party, I'm like, oh, that's probably not for me. But actually, know the way the script runs, I could put you know I could put cool jazz and then bebop and mm-hmm. get a great playlist just for me. So this is a good one. Last updated in late 2019, so this is a very current script as well. Yes, it is. Um, And you can also specify the playlist it should source things from, which means that in July you don't have to listen to Christmas songs, um, which is good because I have a smart playlist that just simply excludes Christmas. Anything involving Christmas or Yule somewhere in the genre is excluded because I have added. uh, You have a shared playlist, actually, David, that I added to my library so I could have some, some Yule jazz in my life. Yeah, I mean, the, the trick with the uh, the automation for the smart playlist is not only to be inclusive, but exclusive. And almost all of my playlists exclude Yule or, or, or holiday music, you know, by having a consistent genre name in the in the naming conventions for your library, it makes it very easy to do that. 
Yes. Actually, one of the things I did years ago, and I should double check if it's still possible, is I actually specifically created an inclusive playlist of Christmas. Um, And then I created an exclusive playlist of everything that is not in this playlist. And then I use that as my basis um, for everything else. Um, Because, you know, 99% of the time I don't want Christmas music mixed in with everything else. Um, And when I do, then I can just uh, edit one playlist, which is then the base. That smart playlist is used as the base um, for other ones. Um, And that's pretty useful because then at Christmas time, you know, December comes around, I can turn that off and just include that Christmas music. And then uh, the rest of the time I can exclude it, which is nice. All right. Important question, Rose. At what point do you start playing the Christmas music and what point do you stop playing it? So I allow it to filter into the rest of my music from December 1st, but I do have a relatively large library. I say relatively, I don't think 20,000 songs is that large when you look at a lot of other people's libraries, but for me, that's large. Um, and I don't listen to music all day, every day. Um, and then um, usually around about 10 days before Christmas, that's when I'll start playing Christmas playlists. Yeah, I start a lot earlier than you. I okay. start in November. I'm not going to judge you. But I like Christmas music. I right. just don't have a large enough selection of it that I won't go crazy listening to it. I like it. I don't listen to it exclusively from during the holiday period, but I listen to it a lot. And then the other thing that's weird about me is the day after Christmas, I don't want to hear it anymore. I I don't play it anymore. I know a lot of folks play it through the new year. I'm done after after the after uh, Christmas is over. I'm I'm ready to move on. Okay, that's the difference between you and me. I I wait until January sixth. There you go. There you go. We just moved our windows yeah. relative to one another. Yep. Um. All right. So Doug scripts. Uh, we talked about one of his scripts, but there's just so many there, and and we did do that show. I'd recommend going back and listening to Doug on that show if you have time, but. Um, if you're going to be managing and automating music on a Macintosh, Doug's scripts needs to be, you know, in your bookmarks. Yes, it does. I feel like I should also give an honorable mention to another one that I've used recently, which is the delete empty playlist script, because it turns out I had a whole bunch of empty playlists hanging around uh, in my music application, and I did not need that. Um, so I, I used the delete empty playlists uh, Apple script to just go through and clear up all of that. Um, and that was great. It saved me a lot of time. So, All right. Uh, you, you've raised the specter of playlists. We've talked a little bit about smart playlists, which uh, are great. You built them on the Mac. They're not an option on iPhone and iPad, but there's kind of a trick you can use. So you make a smart playlist and let it, you know, grind through your library and get the music that matches all the criteria you've set up. Then you copy all of that and you put it into a manually created playlist and then you have that synchronized over to your iPhone and iPad. And mm-hmm. that's the best way I know to really get smart playlists on an iOS device, short of some apps we have in the outline. Well, I have found if you do create a smart playlist on on your Mac, um, then it will synchronize over to your iPhone. But the trick is, is it will only be populated with the music that is on your iPhone um, or on your iPad, which means for yeah. those of us who'd prefer to stream the music on our devices, it is not going to have everything available the same way that you would usually at uh, one point um yeah. i did manage to create a smart playlist for all of my music and this is what i mentioned before where i then i i have that and this actually still works on my iphone but i haven't managed to recreate this since um and so i would really like for our listeners to let me know whether or not they can do this um, but i created this smart playlist called all music and then uh, on my on my iphone it did show me everything that was not on my iphone as well as the stuff that was on my iphone and then i could just hit the download button 
Uh, and that went ahead and it seemed to work. Um, it took a very long time to download a lot of music. Uh, it turned out I had to limit it because I was trying to download too much. Um, but it seemed to work. I am glad that Apple has left all these hooks in, though. So, you know, the the music app is, is just as automation friendly as iTunes was in that regard. And uh, that's good. Yes, it is. And if you find any old Apple scripts for iTunes and you want to update them to work for music, then you usually just need to replace the word iTunes with music. Uh, and uh, yeah. there's more information out there on Duck's site if you want to change something else. So where are you bringing in automated music on your Mac? I am primarily bringing it in by having it connected to some Keyboard Maestro Stream Deck actions. So uh, yeah, we too. recently talked about how I wasn't using the Stream Deck as much as I wanted to, um, but I've got it. I had it posted to me because I'm in the UK and my stuff is in Austria. But along with some other necessary items, I had the Stream Deck put in it put in a box for me, um, and I've now got that set up, um, and that is really nice. You know, I'm there in the mornings and I hit button, um, and it you know rearranges some things on my machine and it starts playing music, and I really like that. Uh, when I was in the office, people would usually play the radio, so there would be something you know, happening at work. And now we, we, I have music, so I'm, I'm enjoying that. Yeah. There's several ways to trigger music on your Mac. And um, if you use LaunchBar or Alfred, those are great apps that have great hooks into your music library. So you can, you know, kick off a music playlist with just a few clicks of the keyboard. I, I do that. I'm using Alfred these days. I keep jumping between them, but I've got the plugin in Alfred where I can kick off a playlist very quickly with the keyboard but I think for true automation type stuff where I do this and that happens, uh, I think there's no easier tool than than a keyboard maestro. Uh, you can also do them via Apple Script, but keyboard maestro has already kind of got the components in it to do it without having to fiddle around with Apple Script. Mm -hmm. So that's where I do it too. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm a really big fan of keyboard maestro. Just like you, I also have um, the Alfred plugin, but I found myself not really using it. Um, the only other thing that I have tried, which is Better Touch uh, tool, um, you can con it can control the touch bar on a touch bar device. Um, and one of the many things that it can do is it can put the um, the information about the currently playing track in there. Um, and I'm not going to say that's necessarily an automation; it's more of a, a fun hack slash tool. Um, but it's it's great fun. And Better Touch tool is definitely an automation tool. So you can you can call yourself an automator even if you only use it to do that. Yeah, we just covered Better Touch Tool over on Mac Power Users. So if you're interested in that one, there's a whole episode on it over there. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. Unlock your productivity with Text Expander and get 20% off your first year. So you want to save time? You want to be an automator? Why don't you start with your typing? Because that's a place we all waste a lot of time. You can save time typing and boost your productivity with Text Expander. Text Expander lets you instantly insert snippets of text as you type using a quick search or abbreviation. If you type something more than three times, make it a snippet and let Text Expander type it for you. You can make snippets on one computer and use them on all of your devices so you're more productive everywhere you type. And if you want to learn more about Text Expander, they do interesting webinars every month. I just did one for them a few months ago. If you go over to uh, TextExpander.com, you can sign up for beginner, advanced, and team webinars to learn more about boosting your productivity. And you can find their webinars to sign up there at TextExpander.com slash webinar. The thing I love about TextExpander is it is the automator tool choice for text expansion because it does so much more. 
With TextExpander, you can automatically insert the date, or you can insert the contents of your clipboard. You can have it type in keystrokes, like the tab key, which is essential. Like, I do emails all the time with TextExpander, and I write the TextExpander snippet in the subject line. And TextExpander will then fill in the subject line using the current date and month. Then it'll hit the tab key, and then it'll grab the person's name, the recipient's name from the email because it's using an Apple script because you can do that with Text Expander. And then it'll hit the carriage return and type the email for me. It does all of this work making automation just just golden when you use Text Expander. And it's available for Mac OS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And Automator's listeners get 20% off their first year. To get that 20% off, you just go to textexpander.com slash podcasts to learn more about Text Expander and let them know you heard about it at the Automators. It'll really boost your productivity, so check it out now, textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So I think we've covered the Mac pretty thoroughly there, David. I mean, all things considered, there's a lot more that we could dive into, especially when it comes to Apple Script and Smart Playlists. You can really go nuts, but I think we should take a look at iOS now. Yeah, we do, because it's a totally different ballgame over there. It is, because until, you know, iOS 13, we didn't even have a way to automatically trigger things when something else happens. And I, I must confess, yeah. one of the first things I did when um the when we got automations in iOS 13, which is why I was so devastated when they took it away as part of the beta, um, that was I added automatically playing music when my alarm gets turned off in the morning. Um, and that has been a game changer. I really like that. Yeah, I think just getting music started on your mobile device, it's just such an obvious automation. You know, it's something that everybody wants to do. We all like music. And why not have music play when you walk into your house or you turn off your alarm in the morning? And this is all really simple stuff that you can really impress people with without a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, I am looking at getting a car at some point in the not too distant future. And I'm I'm requiring CarPlay for myself simply because I want to be able to, you know, connect my phone to CarPlay and have it automatically start playing my driving playlist. I do already have a driving playlist because I already have a driver's license. Um, but I, yeah. you know, just the ability to automate things like that and have music automatically play at the appropriate times. That is, for me, an absolute game changing feature. And I really enjoy it. Well, you want to start by talking about some of the shortcuts, music automation that you've got available? Yeah. So, I mean, the first place to start is, of course, inside the automation tab and just looking inside of those personal automations, you know, like when might you want to start playing music? So for me, the key ones are when I stop my alarm in the morning or when I snooze my alarm in the morning. Uh, when I start a workout on my Apple Watch um, and CarPlay, I've been driving another car that has CarPlay as well. Uh, but another one has been airplane mode. Um, and airplane mode is great because when I put airplane mode on, that's nearly always because I'm on a plane and that means I have headphones and I'm going to want to listen to music. Now I should note for the airplane mode one, I do turn the volume down a long way just in case my headphones aren't connected. I should probably find a way to check whether or not the Bluetooth is connected there before I do that. Um, but you know, it's just great to be able to automatically play music, um, you know, when I do those things. Yeah. And then when it comes to the actual music, triggers or i'm sorry music actions you've got and in shortcuts there's a lot i mean the most the one i use the most is just the play music shortcut it, yeah. it'll play music and you can choose from an artist or from a playlist or you know whatever but you know 90 percent of the time my music automation action is 
play a specific playlist. And I just make playlists around things I want to happen through automation. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And that's something that I have been trying to get away from a little bit because I found if I'm left to my own devices, which right now most of us are to some extent on our own simply because of the the changes in the world, um, I will listen to the same music again and again and again. And there's only so many times that you can hear the Frozen 2 soundtrack before people start to go a little bit insane. You might not, but other people may get upset with you. Um, And so what I have been doing is um, I've been trying the get playlist from Library Action in Toolbox Pro. And I am attempting to build a shortcut. Right now, I don't quite have it working the way I I think it should be working. So I'm going to ask the developer for a little bit of help there. But you can get all of your playlists from here. And then you could just pick a random one from the list using the list feature. Um, And then I'm hoping that I can then just play that music. But at the moment, the playing isn't working and I've done something wrong there. I'm sure of it. Uh, But if I can get that working, I'm going to put that in the show notes. Yeah. Another way you could do make it less uh, repetitive is you could on the fly find music. And Mm -hmm. if you've got certain artists you like, you could do like a choose from list. And then you could have some of your favorite artists and then you could pick, let's say, I'll say Miles Davis. And then it could do a search for artist is Miles Davis and then start playing music. I And I've done experiments with that. Um, Miles in particular is hard to do that with because he had so many different phases in his career that some of his music I really like and some of it isn't, I'm not as big of a fan of it. So, it you know, then it pulls the wrong, you know, it'll pull the you know, his drug induced, you know, era. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to listen to this right now, but the, um, but you can, you can also, in addition to just grabbing an existing playlist, I guess my point is you can have it search your library. Uh, the downside, as Rose mentioned earlier in the show is it's got to be downloaded in your, to your library and your device in order for it to show up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and that is, um, unfortunate, but at the same time, there are, you know, ways that you can work around this, but you know, I mentioned before, if you create a smart playlist, um, and you, you set it so that it should just contain all of your music, then that should at the very least theoretically sync over to your iPhone. So you can just hit the download button. Um, once you've opened it, of course, depending on the side of your library, this may take a very long time or even be impossible to download the music. Um, but you could also, uh, filter that, uh, to be, for example, your most listened to, uh, things or your least listened to things, depending on your preference. Um, and then you have that available as a playlist that you can choose from inside of shortcuts. Yeah. There's also a lot of playlist management tools available to you in shortcuts. You can create a playlist, you can add music to a playlist. Um, I've thought about, um, trying to write a shortcut, uh, to incorporate a song that I hear into a specified playlist, you know, they, mm-hmm. they do have that feature now where you can ask Siri, you know, what is this song? And that was added to shortcuts recently. So have it like, if I'm walking around, listen to something, grab the name of it, download it and save it to a, like a recently discovered playlist. And that then is I can go back doable. and listen to those. Yeah. That's very doable. I yeah. actually, I think I already have a shortcut for that. Um, uh, so I will dig that out and put that in the show notes because that is another useful one. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm frequently, or at least used to hear songs, um, and I would want to save this for later, um, so that I can listen to it again. Um, and that's something that you, you know, a lot of people want to do. They want to, you know, maybe hearing it again at home, you don't like it as much as you did when you were out, or maybe you like it better, but, uh, you know, being able to add that to, uh, your your music library is a great idea. 
Well, I mean, it's just kind of like an omnifocus inbox. It's a, you know, you're, you're capturing the idea or the song, but you may decide later, is this something I want? Is this something I'm going to move into a specific playlist? I don't know. We'll see. I, I but that, that's relatively new uh, option with mm-hmm. the ability to capture the music. So I, I, as soon as I saw that it came out, I, I kind of put it in the back of my head, but I just haven't got around to building that one yet. And it's not a difficult shortcut. Yes, it isn't. Um, and it's it's one of these things. Those are the very sh- simple one and two action shortcuts that you can use just playing music or adding something, you know, listening to something and adding it to a playlist where you could get much more complicated. And this is something I created uh, for, uh, I think it was Bodie Quirk, uh, Max Doc, he, an Automators fan, yeah. um, last year. Um, and um, uh, so we met at Max Doc, and he showed me this shortcut that he was trying to make, and he explained the difficulties that he was having with it. Essentially, he wanted to be able to just select an album and play it, but he didn't want to be dealing with the music interface. He wanted to be able to control everything from the widget. Now, the widget for music is okay, but it, it's not great. Um, for something like this and so and he also wanted just a limited selection of artists available to him um, and so what I did is I actually created I think in the end it worked out as uh, three shortcuts uh, and the first one you set it up so that you have all of the different artists available to you and then the second one will update all of the albums for those artists so if you have the Beatles it will go through and find all of the different Beatles albums that you have now this is based on your music library and then the last one will uh, allow you to pick an album, uh, pick an artist, and then pick an album for them, and that's it. And that's yeah. all it does. Um, and then it plays it, of course. Um, and it's set to uh, play old music, not shuffled and not repeating, because usually, if you want to listen to an album, you want to listen to the story that the artist has set up for the album. But uh, that's a, a really nice series of shortcuts. It is three shortcuts. I could probably have condensed it into one, but I wanted you to be able to update the albums without having to go ahead and then play one of them or try and kill the shortcut while you were in the middle of updating. And once again, they have to be downloaded. Yeah, yeah. These these things usually need to be downloaded for them to work because that's how music on iOS works. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a shame, but it's an understandable limitation. So the the triggers I, I use like you is um, the alarm clock one is great. Although for me, it just varies every day. And... Because I, you know, I've got someone sleeping in the bed next to me, I don't like to make a lot of noise as I get up. But I do like the idea of a, a music trigger in the morning. So I've been kind of experimenting with that. Um, and because my my time is so regulated now, I've, I've been trying to look at like a time-based trigger. Mm-hmm. But then I worry, I'm, you know, I'm going to be like still in the bedroom and wake up my wife and I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, that's that's something you do need to be aware of with these music automations. Suddenly playing, um, you know, a death metal soundtrack is probably not going to endear you to your other half if they're not expecting it. If they're expecting it and they're cool with it, then that's okay. Uh, but otherwise, uh, th- there are other options available to you. How did you know my alarm is death metal? Uh, I, I don't know, David. I just get the impression that that would certainly wake you up in the mornings. Some that's smooth jazz might send you back to sleep. <laughs> Oh, no, smooth jazz uh, would make me vomit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there we go. It certainly wouldn't help you get up in the morning. When I got married, I had the DJ I wrote in the contract that if she played a single Kenny G song, she didn't get paid. (laughs) (laughs) And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why you may not want to work uh, to a gig for a lawyer. Uh, But there we go. I'm I'm sure it was fine. Did Did she get paid? 
No, I, 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 I joked with her about that, but I also was serious. <laughs> hey, hey, the mystery is that? yet to be solved. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so I, I do think that the, the trick for automation, at least starting on iOS, is shortcuts. But there are some apps as well that give you some interesting automation tools on your iPhone and iPad. There are. talking about those? Yeah. So one of the apps that I have been experimenting with recently is called Miximum. Um, that's not uh, me mispronouncing something. That's really what it's called. It's like Maximum, but with mix um, at the start instead of max. Um, and this allows you to create smart playlists the same way that you would in iTunes pretty much. Um, but it's, well, it's on your iPhone. Um, so that means that if you are, for example, on a plane and you want to create a new mix, then you can go ahead and do that. And you can specify sources. Um, and then after you specified your sources, and sources are the playlists available to you, um, as well as you could say all songs and just your library. Um, and then you can go ahead and create uh uh, rules and there are groups of rules as well and you can add as many different groups as you like um, and this has been really useful for I just want like I don't know 15 tracks of something because these ones will update on your device when you reopen the app which is why I really like them because the smart playlists don't always update and especially if I'm offline I find they really don't update um, so I've been yeah. using Miximum a lot and I'm really liking it I have to say yeah, I, I tried that out um, in preparation for the show. It's nice. I am not happy about their iPad implementation because ah. there is none. It's I hadn't seen an app in a long time that loaded on my iPad as a iPhone app, you know, where it's got the small screen. Yeah. But it does. It, it, come on, guys. Yeah, so I, I use this one on my iPhone. I really listen to music on my iPad, actually. Do you listen to music on your iPad a lot, David? All the time, all oh, the time. Okay, I mean, just to, I mean, I, I've got music playing, music or white noise playing almost one hundred percent of the time. I have a thing with my ears where I always hear ringing, so mm -hmm. I like to have something to to replace yeah. it. So, uh, when I'm sitting on my iPad, the iPad, the speakers on the iPad Pro are amazing, so yes. you can listen to music there. If I'm in a room with the HomePod in it, I may send it to the HomePod, but I'm just as likely to play it on the iPad. So, mm -hmm. I do like those tools available. Um, there's another one that I tried, uh, but as we were prepping for the show called Marvis, M-A-R-V-I-S, it's similar to Miximum, you know, um, it's got an alternative music interface. I haven't decided if it's better or worse than the Apple music interface, but it is simpler, I would say for certain, but it also gives you the ability to use this, a seemingly unlimited number of smart rules to make custom playlists, based on the music it's got, you know, and, and both of these apps, you have to give them access to your music library when you first install them. Mm -hmm. So assuming as long as it's downloaded, it can fall into a very cryptic set of rules that you create. Yes. And I, I trying them both. I felt like they both kind of scratched the itch. If you want the ability to create your own smart lists on or smart playlists on your, on your iPhone or iPad, uh, Marvis or Mixamum will work. If you're going to do it on an iPad, I'd probably recommend Marvis simply because they actually have a, an iPad interface, but mm -hmm. um, they're both fully adequate for the job. Yes. And one of the things I really like about Mixamum, I, I don't know if this also is available in Marvis, David, you'll have to let us know, um, is I can specify that it should only use downloaded music in this playlist um, because it appears that it can usually grab hold of this, of all the other music. Um, but of course, if you're then offline and you're listening to it, 
I find if I'm offline and I'm listening to music and it tries to play something that's not downloaded to my phone, it will play through the length of the track silently. I have no idea what's going on there. I have filed this as feedback because that is just, you know, you're there. And then it starts playing Bohemian Rhapsody, but Bohemian Rhapsody isn't downloaded, which first of all is a significant problem because I quite like Bohemian Rhapsody. And secondly, it's five and a half minutes of silence. And you start to wonder if you've gone crazy. the length of the song. It seems to, yeah. I mean, usually I realize in like a minute or something that something's up and then I skip to the next song. But it's certainly like it's long enough for me to notice and get very confused. And the play bar is progressing across the screen whenever I look at it. Um, It's very strange. So often, uh, it depends on my mood, but quite often on airplanes, I just put on dark noise and listen to a thunderstorm. Yeah. But I download, I'm very religious about downloading tracks before I go on a trip. In fact, it's like on my OmniFocus project template for going on a trip is download the music. Because Mm -hmm. I just, there's nothing worse than getting on a plane and realizing you've only got two Dexter Gordon songs on your phone. That's just, that's the worst. (laughs) And this is apparently a problem that you've had more than once, David. (laughs) Yeah, well, not anymore, because I've learned my lesson. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Hrefs. Whether you work for a big brand, run your own small business, or do freelance work, getting traffic to your website is always a challenge. There's just so much competition out there. Hrefs is an all-in-one SEO toolset that solves problems. It gives you the tools you need to rank your website in Google and get tons more search traffic. SEO has always been a bit of a mystery to me, and I'm sure it has been to you as well. What's good today might be bad next week, and what was good last week is probably bad today. Hrefs takes the mystery out of this by telling you exactly what it is that you need to do and those things that you've done before that now need to be changed. It uncovers how your competitors are getting traffic and why. You can see the pages and the content that will send you the most traffic, and you can get estimated search volumes with their keyword explorer tool, so you can see how well a piece of content is likely to perform before you write it. Hrefs has a ton of useful stuff, like Content Explorer, which can help you find guest blogging opportunities, and Rank Tracker, which says you track your progress on keywords. They'll even pick up broken backlinks and help you to fix them. Take the mystery out of SEO. Go to hrefs.com right now. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com. Sign up for their seven-day trial for just $7. Get reports on your website, see what's performing well, and figure out your next move. Whether you have a personal website you want to get a following on, or your company needs more traffic to convert into sales, go there now, ahrefs.com. Get that $7 free trial. Our thanks to Hrefs for their support of Automators and all of Relay FM. So Rose, let's talk a little bit about the ways we're implementing all these tools to bring automation to our lives and and how we automate our music. You've got any cool shortcuts or Mac-based automations you want to share? Well, I mean, the first thing that I started with is uh, buying more HomePods because, of course, the the solution to any problems involving music is HomePods breeding like triples, apparently. Uh, so I, I yeah. have a pair of HomePods now, and this has been great because one of the things that I have built into my life, or at least that I was using a lot before, I'm using it a little bit less now, is when I got home from work, um, as well as stopping my commuting time tracking timer, uh, my phone would also ask me if I wanted to... Um, send what I'm listening to to my HomePods, 
start playing music on my home pods or pause what I'm listening to. Um, and it would just give me those three options um, so that I, I could then pick what it was I wanted to do. Um, and that for me was really helpful because I just said play music and I had a very large playlist and I was playing it um, on shuffle um, so that I would hopefully get to listen to something a little bit less progressive than the Frozen 2 soundtrack, which I have to say is a great soundtrack. I really love it. But apparently, uh, you know, other people disagree. They'll us. I think it's great too. There's some great lyrics in that in those exactly. songs. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and especially, you know, um the the video uh of the 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 love song that was hilarious. Absolutely loved it. Um, but um either way, uh, you know, that that for me was great because it would start then playing music on my home pods. And the home pods are really great because you can hand off playback to any AirPlay 2 speaker. Um with your iPhone and shortcuts um, and you can either hand it off the playback or you can set it as your playback destination. Handing off the playback means that then your, your speakers will be, you know, playing by themselves without your phone necessarily doing anything, whereas setting the playback destination retains the control. Um, and that that for me was really nice. Um, and I'm I'm still using my HomePods. I'm just using that particular shortcut a little less at the moment, but that's OK. Uh, just on that um, love song and in the um, Frozen 2. Have you ever listened to Chicago? Uh, I have not, no. Okay. You you should get some, add a Chicago playlist to your, um, Okay. the band Chicago, not the musical. Okay. Because that, that total rip off of their music. But anyway, see, I feel old sharing that with you, <laughs> but I figure I got, I got to share the love too. But like you, I think the HomePods, although I know a lot of folks are not huge HomePod fans, they're overpriced and the, uh, the um, voice assistant isn't always as useful as she should be. And sometimes she, she jumps in conversations too quickly. But uh, if you like music and you like automation, they are amazing for music automation because shortcuts has abilities to push music to them and you can have, you know, great playlists playing for you all over your house. Yes, yes, you can. Um, and, and that's something, you know, I'm looking at getting some of the Ikea uh, speakers because they are, um, you know, they're, they're working with Sonos now and they, but they have AirPlay 2 support as well. Um, and I'm thinking that a pair of those on the bedside tables would be a great cheap alternative to yet more HomePods in my life, but that would be a great place to start with music in the mornings. Um, which, you know, is something that I really enjoy, you know, having some music in the morning helps me get up and get out of bed. Um, of course it has to be the right kind of music. So less death metal, but it's okay. I so for me music the automation story for music for me has really altered over the years. Um, years ago, my automation fun was creating very Byzantine style smart playlists. You know, like I talked about at the top of the show, you can still still do that in Apple Music. But um, for me now, it's been more about automating different types of music for different contexts or mm -hmm. types of work I'm doing. So many of my shortcuts now have a play music step in them. Mm -hmm. You can always turn it off, but I find that I usually leave them on. And so I'm doing kind of the labor work of putting together playlists that are appropriate. Like what's the perfect playlist for doing an OmniFocus review? I mean, for me, that's different from you and everybody's got their own kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you put that playlist in, you have it play random and just, show up and say, okay, I'm going to do an OmniFocus review. So it'll, it may kick off a timer, open up OmniFocus to the review tab and start a music playlist. And I have that play playlist creeping into all sorts of different things I do. 
Um, and I really find it nice that way because I like the automation of it. Um, and it does make doing that task more fun mm-hmm. for me. Uh, uh, so, some things I do, I really can't listen to music. I was thinking when uh, earlier when I talked about how I use dark um, dark noise a lot. Dark noise is what I do when I need to use my brain. Because like when I listen to Dexter Gordon, I get hung up on his solos and start listening to his articulation. And then all of a sudden I'm not doing my work. So like I'll, I'll use kind of the white noise generation for brain work. But for busy work, I like music. And I've really done a good job. I've got many of my like context uh, shortcuts or context automations that include playing music. So that that's kind of where it is for me now. But the actual generating the playlist of what plays when those, those are manually curated by me at this point. Or, uh, and we haven't really mentioned on the show, but if you have an Apple Music subscription, there are great playlists curated by other people. Mm-hmm. And you can download those very easily. So whatever your favorite artist or type of music is, you type it in and there's a bunch of available playlists for you. And I just pick one of those. Yes, and that is a a great way to to find new music to listen to. I have to say, the friends mix is something I've really been enjoying. Getting some some interesting uh, different music into my playlist every week. Though that said, I'm not a hundred percent certain Phil Schiller actually listens to everything that ends up in my friends mix because uh, you can add Phil Schiller yeah. on Apple Music. But there's always some interesting stuff in there, um, so uh, it's worth looking at. Um, and but uh, yeah. the the big caveat there is you have to download it. Yeah. If, you know, you see a playlist you like, maybe you just listen to it stream once to make sure it's a it's a winner. But once you decide that, hit the hit go hit the download all button because mm-hmm. everything breaks if you don't have it downloaded. Yeah, yeah, it does, which is a shame. Um, I've been trying to work on an automation to improve my background music. So I do like listening to white noise, but I find uh, for many things, classical music is perfect. However, yeah. anything that has singing in distracts me. Um, for similar reasons to you, you know, like what are they singing? My brain will translate it um, or attempt to translate it, um, occasionally involving in some very weird conversations that I have with myself in my head because I've mistranslated a word or something. Um, uh, so I try to avoid any music uh, with singing in, but that is in some cases easier than others, especially when, um, you know, the the artist of the piece is not set to the composer, it's set to the, the orchestra leader or, you know, anything else, um, you know, if it's uh, got, um, if if you know that the person, the artist is a singer, then of course it's easy to exclude. So I've been working on just excluding those from a smart playlist. And because I'm listening to this on my Mac, it's very simple. I've actually been using Alfred to simply change the rating from five stars to four stars. Now, this is the one place where I am using a five and a four star rating. If I don't like the piece of music, I will just delete it. Um, but for everything else, I change it from five star to four star. Five stars means it's great and there's no singing. Four stars means it's great and there's singing. Um, and that's my differentiator oh, there. Um, and then that moves it out of the playlist. Um, but I've actually had to set it up so that what it will do is select the track, skip ahead to the next track, and then um, mark the selected track as four stars. Because if you skip the track that you're currently on or you change its rating, which will then mean that it disappears from the playlist, then it just pauses. And you have to hit play again. Um, so I've been working around that. Well, just for giggles, I've been doing like interval training for my ears, like what's a minor third or a, a seventh or whatever. And so even listening to classical music now screws me up because I start doing intervals when I listen to it. But 
But the uh, the point of all this is, I you know, you get playlists together, you can trigger them super easy on your iOS device. Why not incorporate that into different things you do? Mm-hmm. And give it a try. Yeah, and I highly recommend that. And if you've got keyboard maestro macros that you use to set up things on your Mac for different parts of your day, then I would highly recommend putting some music playback in there as well because uh, that's just a game changer. Yeah, you can even do it with setups. Like I talk about setups that I do on my Mac where, you know, set up for legal writing or set up for email. You can have it automatically start a playlist very easily with that. Moving on from music and playlists, uh, we have a new segment called Ask the Automators and we've been getting some fun questions you got one this month too. Yeah, uh, we we picked this one actually out of our forums. And there was somebody that, who was asking, how can we create a time tracking report from our calendar? Now, in this particular case, they were specifying that they wanted to do it from Google Calendar and they were using the different colors of the different events in Google Calendar. Um, and I did some pretty intense digging. And the only way that I found that you might be able to do that exact solution would be to use the JavaScript automation that you can use with Google it's not going to be easy to do. Um, however, if you just want to create and a report... And it's going to break. Yeah, it's going to break at some point. But if you just want to create a report of the hours allocated in your day based on different calendars and things, David and I have got quite a few ideas for you. Yeah, I, I think probably the easiest is to break up the categories by calendar. Mm-hmm. And then you can make a report pretty easily. Yes, yes, you can. Um, and this has actually led me recently to create um, multiple calendars. So originally for my time blocking, I had just the one time blocking calendar and that was great. And then I realized that there are some things that are recurring events, for example, preparing for the automated shows um, or preparing their shows for release and things like that that need to go into my calendars. But I don't necessarily want to be blocking your time. And so that means I can't put them on the automators calendar, but I would like to see that these are regularly scheduled and that they are automators related. So I now have multiple time tracking calendars for time blocking. Um, And this is useful because now I have automators time blocking and nested folders time blocking. And I also have a general time blocking calendar, um, which is for pretty much everything else. It's not associated with one of those two. And that means that I can then pull this in. And what I've been doing, I've been experimenting with shortcuts with this. So you pull in the events from today or from the last week. And then you go through the calendars um, and and you go through all the events. And based on the calendar, you can then say, okay, so if the calendar contains automators, then assign that time to automators. And that has been working really well. Making multiple calendars is a great tool for automation in general because when you're creating events, it allows you to create them based on where they belong. When you're like doing, we just did in the last episode, we did the daily brief. And one of the ways I could tell myself in the morning what's on deck for Mac Sparky would be to look at the automator's calendar, the Mac Power User's calendar, you know, the focus calendar and the Mac Sparky calendar and give me a report of any events that show up in those calendars for today. Mm-hmm. Whereas that would not address the Sparks Law calendar because it's a separate calendar. When you start breaking them up, it just gives you way more options when you want to do reporting or automation. Now, Rose, I was thinking about this. Do you use Google Calendar or do you use iCloud? I mean, what's your calendar engine for your calendaring? Uh, yes, all of the above. Um, so okay. the vast majority of my calendars are saved in iCloud, um, in my iCloud account. Um, and this works really well. However, there are some people that I share calendars with um, and... Um, for some reason, sharing the iCloud calendar with them, they're using Google Calendar, 
it just wasn't working. There was something going wrong. I am 99% certain this was the fact that I was on a beta um, or multiple betas um, and it's now been since been resolved. But for some calendars, what I did is I created the calendar in my Google Calendar and I shared it back to my iCloud and I shared it with them as well. Um, and so some calendars are officially stored in Google Calendar, but I don't actually sync the Google Calendars to my device. I just sync iCloud because I share the calendars back. Um, and for work, I'm also using Exchange. Um, where I have a couple of different calendars, including a useful little information calendar where when I clock in, it automatically goes eight hours forward and it adds a one minute long appointment to say go home, uh, which is nice. quite nice. Um, and that's, that's, and that's not something yeah. that's visible to other people um, because to start with, I was putting it in the main calendar and then a couple of people are like, so why do you need to go home at like 1722? It's like, oh, right. You can see that. Okay. I suspected you may be all in with Google Calendar because web-based automation, I think Google Calendar runs circles around iCloud Calendar. It does, but at the same time, there's actually not that much that I automate with uh, my calendar, at least as it goes to having, you know, services like Zapier Watch It or something. Um, I'm pretty yeah. happy with just what I've got on, on my iPhone with shortcuts because I, I don't base things on when something gets added to my calendar. I, I base it on what's happening today or next week as it currently stands in my calendar, which for me is much more useful because adding something to my calendar. So say, for example, um, I'm recording a podcast tomorrow, but originally it was planned for yesterday. Well, if I had something added to my OmniFocus based on it originally being planned for yesterday, then the due date in OmniFocus would be wrong. But moving the calendar wouldn't have updated my OmniFocus task. Um, so whereas as it is, I, I have, you know, a couple of prompts of, oh, hey, and in your recording, uh, you've got these upcoming deadlines for recording. You know, are you, are you on top of your preparation for this? Yes or no? Uh, go add it to your OmniFocus, um, which works pretty well for me. Yeah, I was just looking on iCloud. I have 16 calendars and then I have five Google calendars and then a couple others as well. I, I have a lot of calendars and I... I don't regret that in the least. Just yeah. over time, I've realized that, you know, calendars are free. Make as many as you need. And yes. like the problem you were talking about earlier, like I have a Max Sparky calendar, but I also have an automator's calendar. I share the automator's calendar with you. Mm -hmm. So anything that if we need to do show planning or show prep or record a show, that's on that calendar. Yeah. But, but the, the prep I do alone is auto-generated through a shortcut based on the calendar and then I, I usually block time in advance of the show and then usually a little bit the week before. And that just shows up on the Max Barkey calendar because obviously I don't need to bore you with the time I spend on prep. So, you know, so all that stuff is very possible. And as um, Google calendars are very automation friendly for web-based automation, um, if you're on Apple platforms, the iCloud calendars are super uh, automation friendly for shortcuts. Just mm -hmm. like, yeah. really powerful tools yeah and if you if you add your google account as an account to um to your iphone or ipad then you can access the icloud the google calendars in the same way that you can access the icloud calendars um but of course you know there are some limitations so for example the feature available in exchange office 365 and google of setting the color of an event that's not necessarily going to be available to you but a lot of other things are um and the other thing that i have just thought of uh, which Radio Colin, that's the person who originally posted this in our forums, may want to check out, is um, when an event ends. If this and that can automatically detect when an event ends um, and it could potentially get that information, log that to a Google Sheet. Um, and that 
could be a game changer for some people. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. That That's where you would want automation uh, with web-based automation. If you want to know when a calendar event ends, uh, then that that would be where Google Calendar is definitely a winner over iCloud Calendar. Although with this specific uh, listener question, he was saying that her calendar very closely resembles what actually happens. So mm-hmm. you could get the start and end time out with shortcuts as well. Yes, yes, you could. Um, you just can't get the color. But if if there were some tweaks made, I'm sure it would all work perfectly. And the question starts out with she's on Google Calendar. She's not on iCloud. So I guess I, didn't, I hadn't really thought about it. But if she could switch to iCloud, that may give you some additional options. Well, even if she just adds her Google account to her iPhone, then it should work. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Bold and Branch. The softest organic sheets and luxury bedding save $50. Try them for 30 days with a risk-free trial. Bowl and Branch are the folks who make the softest organic sheets and luxury bedding. And if you're looking to add little luxury to your life, this ad is for you. Bowl and Branch products are made with uncompromised quality and attention to detail every step of the way. They're meticulously crafted from pure 100% organic cotton. Now, I uh, am a nerd. I've been making podcasts a long time. Occasionally, we have a sponsor that will send us something. My wife has no interest in this stuff. You know, she, we get like a, a, a cable or something. She doesn't care. The Bolden Branch sheets showed up. They gave us a pair of these. It has ruined us. These are amazing sheets. They're so comfortable. The unboxing experience is amazing. These things are, are packed you know, to represent just the amazing sheets they are. But the best part is when you get them on your bed and you lay on them at night, you're like, what have I been missing my whole life? Bowl and Branch, they're such high quality because they use organic long staple cotton, which actually makes Bowl and Branch sheets get softer over time. And I can attest that's true. Uh, and they are so soft. They're so soft that we do laundry now. We take the Bowl and Branch sheets off. We launder them. We get them back on the bed that night. I am going to be a customer because we need more Bull and Brand sheets. Um, uh, they're, they're only bedding loved by three U.S. presidents. And if you didn't know already, Bull and Branch really are the good guys when it comes to ethical manufacturing. All their factories prioritize worker empowerment, sustainable incomes. 100% of their packaging is made from recycled paper. And they're the first manufacturer of linens to be fair trade certified. You really need to give these a try. Shipping is always free. You can try them out for 30 nights risk-free. And uh, I recommend you do if you want to just upgrade your Sheik's game. Uh, uh, right now, you get $50 off with your first set of sheets. Go to bowlandbranch.com with promo code AUTOMATORS, A-U-T-O-M-A-T-O-R-S. I think I'm going to have to use that myself, Rose. I'm going to need another pair of these. Go there right now. Upgrade your bedding. You won't regret it. One final time, bowlandbranch.com with the promo code AUTOMATORS. B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com. Promo code AUTOMATORS to get that $50 up. And uh, just give yourself a treat. Have some wonderful sheets on your bed. Our thanks to Bowl and Branch for their support of AUTOMATORS and all of Relay FM. Well, there's one more thing that we have yet to talk about today, which is what problems have we been solving recently? Because I have been dealing with so much paperwork and you wrote a whole book about going paperless years ago um, and you've got you've got a field guide on Hazel. Um, but one of the things I was dealing with was paperwork coming at me by email. Yes, I'm trying to find a new place okay. to live. And there was just so much and especially attachments, getting attachments out of mail 
multiple attachments at a time. Um, this was something I spotted in the Mac Power Users Forum recently. I thought it was just me, but it turns out if you share an attachment from a thumbnail preview on iOS to somewhere, it gets the name of the attachment type. So if it's a PDF, it gets called PDF.PDF, which is the most unhelpful thing yeah, it's ever. A bug. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but if you open the quick look and then share it, but that's an extra couple of taps. And I thought, you know, I don't really want to be t- opening things and tapping the share sheet and then finding DevonThink and saving stuff. No, 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 no. I want this to be automated. And then I remembered that DevonThink, of course, has AppleScript support and it ships with AppleScripts to get things out of mail, both messages as well as attachments. Or you can just do messages or just attachments. And so I set up a whole series of smart rules in mail. And I am really, really happy because this automatically grabs anything coming in from the mortgage guy um, or anything coming in from from the the person selling the place and, and stuff like that. And it grabs that. And depending on the person, it grabs um, either just the attachments or um, just the email or both. And it puts it in DevonThink. And then I went a little bit crazy and used DevonThink smart rules to automatically file it because... That just makes my life easier. And then I'm there on my phone and I notice, oh, hey, you know, I got an email yesterday from from the mortgage people again. Oh, yeah, that's in DevonThink already. Great. I can just fill that out and send it back. And I've got a record of everything. Yeah, the, the automatic downloading of attachments is a problem that there's a lot of ways to solve that. And another way to solve that would be with a SaneBox account. If you're a mm-hmm. SaneBox subscriber, you can have it automatically download attachments to uh, to Dropbox, for instance, so you can have them that way. Um, but just attachments in general and email are a pain in the neck. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things I was thinking about while you're talking about is solving the problem on iOS. Um, a lot of times in the law job, I get multiple attachments from different emails that I need to send off to a single person. Mm-hmm. And the way I solve that, there's there's really a couple ways. The first is Yoink. Mm-hmm. Um, Yoink is a little app. It's like a shelf app. They have an iPhone version too. It works particularly well though on iPad. Mm-hmm. So you can put Yoink on the one-third of the screen and your mail app on two-thirds of the screen, and you can easily drag attachments from one to the other, and then you don't hit that bug because it just saves the file to Yoink. Yeah. And then you can open a new email and just drag whatever you want over. I also do the same thing with Basecamp because a lot of that stuff is legal-related. Uh, Basecamp, uh, the Basecamp iOS app does a good job of catching attachments. It, it recognizes drag-and-drop easily. So there's a bunch of ways to do that. Uh, I'm I'm finding this to be a pretty good setup for me, especially because I, I've got a Mac mini running all the time. And so I've set it up and I've put the mail rules back on that machine. Um, and so it's just sitting there running and it doesn't matter if I get an email at two o'clock in the morning or whatever. There's no interference. It just gets on with it and does it for me. Um, and that's really nice to wake up to everything being forwarded. And at one point I had to send like 25 different documents back. So first of all, you have to collect yeah. the 25 documents and then you have to find all of them after you've collected them. Cause it can take a couple of weeks to collect everything, of course, because nothing ever works that fast. And then you have to send yeah. them all back. And so I was uh, using the, the tags in uh, DevonThink to, to tag everything that I'd you know, I've got this document now, right? Tag it with need to send to this person, you know, but I had to send all the documents together. Um, you couldn't send them. Oh, I finally got this document. Oh, I finally got that document. Oh, I finally got the other document. No, it had to be all in one email. But uh, I got there and they now have a whole load of paperwork to plow through. So that'll be good fun. Yeah. If you've got a Macintosh running 24 7, the Apple Mail rules are an amazing tool set for automators. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I talk about how I'm jealous of Google's cloud based um, automation tools, but 
I think at least the last time I looked at Google's uh, email sorting set, it didn't come close to what you can do with Apple Mail natively on a Mac. But the Mac has to be running in the background in order mm -hmm. to make that work. Yeah. I solved a similar problem. This Well, not similar, but an email-related problem, an attachment problem, kind of from the other direction. Uh, we hit tax season. Everybody wants my W-9s. I have two companies, one for the law, one for Max Barkey. And it just became a pain in the neck when I'd get those emails and I was on my iPad. On the Mac, I've got an automation that sends an email and has the W-9 attachment. But I didn't really have a good way to do that on iOS until we got a new app this month. I think we may need to do a whole show on it. But mm -hmm. uh, DataJar is now out. And DataJar is it's a free app, but it, it is a donation friendly app you can make donations the app i actually gave him i went the full hog i gave him five dollars so i bought him a burrito i think that was what what he said but the uh but it's it's just a data store for shortcuts and not only can it hold you know um tables of data or variables it can hold files so there there's this form in the u.s called the w9 form it's the form you give to people when they pay you and they have to report you on your taxes and I've got now a shortcut created that writes the email, goes to DataJar, pulls the attachment, and then creates the email for me. It's just a simple shortcut. It's only three or four steps. But the magic was having the ability to have that attachment show up anytime I write it. And, and I guess I could have done it from inside shortcuts if I had done a... Um, uh, the name's escaping me now. What is the thing where you convert a digital file to ones and zeros? The um, do you mean base sixty four encoding or base, binary? Yeah, base sixty four. Yeah, base sixty four ones and zeros. But yes, I, I get what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, in my head, you know, I'm a simpleton. But the uh, I could have base sixty four encrypted it, but but having it in data jar is so much easier. The shortcut is makes the shortcut a lot smaller, which makes it more reliable. And if I update the W9, I just update it in data jar and it gets copied over because it just, you know, you keep the same name for the file. Uh, data jar solves a lot of problems. Yes, yes, it does. I've been playing a lot with data jar and a slight spoiler for the next episode, or maybe it's a teaser, uh, data jar will be featured on the next episode of Automators. Uh, but I'm not yeah. going to give anybody any more details just yet. You're going to have to listen and wait patiently. Yeah, it's a great app. If you're using shortcuts, it just lets you create a, a bucket of variables that are always available to you. Yes, yes, it does. Um, and, and files and much more. Yeah, uh, if you've if you've ever realized that the the global variables in Toolbox Pro are a little bit limiting, then this is what DataJar is for. It's a whole database on your iPhone uh, or multiple databases, and it's it's amazing. It's a free app. I I couldn't believe he just made it a free app. Well. That is Simon. He's very good at making uh, great apps affordable to us. So uh, I would I would recommend yeah. everybody who can afford to throwing him a breakfast burrito or whatever other option fits your budget if you can afford to do that, of course. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It, but it really does change the game. So so I solved a problem with that this month. Anyway, uh, there you have it: music and playlists, and a few other things on the Automators podcast. We will be back in two weeks with another episode. But in the meantime, you can find us over at relay.fm slash automators or in the forums at talk.automators.fm. Thank you to our sponsors, Text Expander, Hrefs, Bolin Branch, and we'll see you in a few weeks. Bye, everyone.